0: If we had rent control, that's the end of development. If planning takes too long, that's the end of development. If there's no new, you know, either brownfield or greenfield land for development made available, uh, that's kind of making it harder. So I think the government should focus on, you know, those initiatives rather than being uh, too much of a regulator. I think then we should be successful.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We have a very special guest, Wenzel Holberg, who is the Global Head of Real Estate at Fiera Real Estate. Wenzel, I know you're very busy. You were presenting at the conference a couple of weeks back. I enjoyed uh, your presentation of the white paper. And I know we'll touch on this a little bit today, but how are you doing?
0: Hi, Mateo. I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's a beautiful day in Toronto today. so That's good. No snow in Toronto? Now it's sunny, it's blue skies, it's like we want it. So
1: That's good. That's very good. That's good to hear. Not so much in Ottawa. Uh, there's a bit of snow, but uh, it's all good. So, Wenzo, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: I, I'm global head of real estate at FIERA. I'm born in Berlin, West Berlin, you know, when the wall was still up. You know, I grew up there, and uh, but I did uh, spend a lot of time doing education and, and my jobs in Germany and the U.S. and the U.K. and the Canada. And um, I actually immigrated five years ago to Canada. So, Wow. So from Berlin, Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Berlin and Toronto are kind of you know similar cities, right? You know, kind of large, but not the super big, you know, whammies like London and New York. And uh, they're very livable and weather isn't great normally, but, but you know, it's a good lifestyle. So,
1: That's very good. That's very good. So according to the FIERA white paper, the Canadian real estate market has demonstrated stronger overall performance metrics compared to other G7 countries over the past 15 years and more importantly, greater stability during difficult macroeconomic environments. So this is your white paper and this all sounds great. However, is the housing crisis contributing to the stronger overall performance according to your white paper?
0: Well, look, um, I tried to, I had the speech on a conference. I tried to dumb, dumb it down to 20 minutes so everybody would get it. Um, we we published this white paper, which was really, it looks like this. It's actually available online yeah? Okay. Um, yeah. on our website. It's Canadian's real estate, world's best kept secret. And really what we were trying to do is we're trying to convince a bit more cross-border capital to come to Canada. And And so we looked at, you know, performance the last 15 years for all G7 countries and looked how Canada stacked up and it was number one. And we looked at, you know, the contributing factors for that. And really what matters is, you know, kind of a sustainable, stable banking system matters much more than, um, you know, the next factors, which are, you know, kind of tech and kind of education levels, uh, technology and education levels in the country. The third one is immigration. So all three matter, but you know, kind of the stability of the system probably matters more than immigration per se. Um, so we, we tried to lay that out and actually tried to also lay out that the next 15 years look pretty good as well. Um, but, you know, coming to your question on housing crisis, um, you know, obviously we need immigration to grow. And if we don't solve the housing crisis, it's it's counterproductive to to good real estate returns, right? Because we need the immigration for growth. This will kind of feed across the whole system. And so we need to solve the housing crisis in order to continue to have positive immigration. And I don't think we can stop immigration because we don't have any housing. I mean, that would really be shooting ourselves into the foot. Um, so, um is it going to contribute to better real estate performance? Um, we looked at, you know, fifteen years, like long macro kind of factors, um, and immigration is one of them. But you know, I, I think if we we need to solve it, you know, to be to be a growing country, to be relevant also in the G seven universe of other countries, because right now we're still, you know, in the middle of the pack. I mean, U.S. is much larger than we are, but but you know the other G7 countries are kind of more or less similar size and similar liquidity as we have so so we we want to stay in the mix
1: okay very good very very good so talking about uh, the housing crisis what's berlin like or germany in general has germany ever faced some type of housing crisis and how is that resolved <laughs> Well, Germany
0: probably has also a housing crisis in a way that there's a lot of demand and there's also fresh immigration. You know, there's, there's maybe less controlled immigration more kind of just, just people coming into the country. But they do have a housing problem in a way that, that there's not enough housing available. And, you know, they have a housing problem in a way that building new is not very affordable. And it's it's a it's a very heavily regulated country, right? So I think where it's different is Germany is a, is a renters country. You know, all the voters are tenants. There's very kind of tenant-friendly legislation, which kind of limits, you know, you know rent. You know, it has rent control then rent increases, and and so therefore, you know, it's hard to be a landlord. It's hard to be an investor in Germany. I think, uh, you know, kind of Canada has a bit more of the North American. Free markets still around where you know a lot of people own their houses, you know rental housing is kind of a a new thing, uh, and I think we should focus on it as a country, but we should make the same mistakes as Germany and other European countries over regulating it and controlling it. We should probably kind of make it more attractive to build um and I think the government is working on it with kind of g s t kind of reductions or or maybe kind of uh, contributing more land and kind of streamlining development processes, and I think these are all good measures. I, I don't think uh, government should step in and try to regulate rents and and um, you know regulate the market too much because the government cannot build on its own enough housing. It really needs the, uh, the private market to contribute. So compared to the to the UK a little bit, you know I think the UK was also an owners' market and they've Kicked off quite an attractive build-to-rent uh, program, and and they benefit from, you know, maybe more landlord-friendly laws. But but um, you know, I, th- I think they've really been been able to push, you know, build-to-rent housing development. Um, the big challenge we have, of course, are you know the interest rates are high. You know, kind of development costs are high. So we need to to tackle that challenge, right? So the rates need to come down. I think the rates need to come down but also we need to become more efficient in building right maybe we just need to have more automation in house building um i think we need faster planning processes we need lower rates but also we probably need to do a bit more prefab more you know kind of mobile component housing that actually um gets us away from the uh from you know the labor market challenges we have, where we just don't have enough labor, and, and the prices increase to a level where it's just not sustainable. Well, up
1: until now, at least, why is prefab type of housing not common or not popular rather?
0: Uh, I don't know. It's I think it's more popular out west in Canada than than it is here. Um, I think it's developed a bit more in Europe. Um, I think there's. Parts of it, if you want the single-family homes and maybe the, the tiny homes and everything, what's quite progressed already. Um, but I think in the multifamily, there's still, you know, a lot of room for improvement. And and part of it is, you know, if you look at multifamily development, you know, which has maybe cross-laminated timber, um, you know, kind of new materials, kind of prefabricated bathrooms, prefabricated kitchens. A lot of it is still in the regulation where I things are just um, harder to to get approved, right? I mean, uh, I think part of it is you kind of need the whole plan, the whole building in, in place before you get the building permit. Um, while maybe you know things can can move on in in phases from both permitting and building, and and I think if you actually have material which is also more sustainable like like cross-laminated timber i think you can also do a much more value add upfront and build it like lego blocks rather than you know being stuck in the middle in traditional construction processes so um i'm not sure if it's the game changer and the only solution but it's it's one of those things next to interest rates you know construction cost you know is, is a high contributor and i think we need to get better in And just multiplying what the
1: technology we got. That's very good. So the federal government wants Canadian pension funds to have more real estate investments in Canada and it intends to make investing in Canada a more attractive option. What can the government do to make investing in Canadian real estate a more attractive option?
0: I mean, first of all, I would love the Canadian funds to invest more in Canada, but I also worked for one of the big pension plans like your Canada kind of Pension Plan Investment Board, and I know they are, first of all, you know, very large, and they are already all over-allocated Canada, over-allocated real estate. So, you know, I do understand why they cannot invest much more in Canada. You know, personally, I'd like them to do it because we need the money. Um, but I think the only way to get them to invest more is to make the risk adjusted returns more attractive. And what the government can do is next to providing a stable you know, system, stable banking system, I think, which we already have, it can, of course, you know, create a, a very stable legal environment, rule of law, you know, kind of development processes above the table. You know, it can provide low, low income financing, like it already does CMHC um, financing, and it can, you know, kind of provide incentive like the GST cut that make that kind of balance out the interest rate increases. Um So I think it's doing the right thing. What it shouldn't be doing is over right? Now, if we had rent control, that's the end of development. If planning takes too long, that's the end of development. If there's no new, you know, either brownfield or greenfield land for development made available, uh, that's kind of making it harder. So I think it should focus on, you know, those initiatives rather than being uh, too much of a regulator, I think, then we should be successful. Are the Canadian funds coming back? If they are already over allocated, maybe not. But I think definitely we have a chance to get Cross-border international capital in, if the metrics are attractive. That's kind of what the white paper was about. You know, guys, look at Canada. Um, you think this is all dominated by Canadian funds, but, but it's not. They're all fully allocated. We need new capital from uh, international players coming into this country to build the housing we need, to build the industrial we need. Both are still short of supply. Okay. okay. And what has the
1: response been like to your white paper by cross-border pension funds?
0: Has there been any response? Well, I, I guess the response from the national guys has been, yeah, 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 like we see it, you know, we like it, uh, you know, we, we we think you're right, but, you know, like nobody knows about it. So let's, let's uh, collaborate. So I've had, you know, uh, good people reach out to me, first of all, to read the paper, but also how can we actually carry this out more to international capital? And I think international capital is receptive to it. I think we have generally a very good reputation um, as a market, but but I think they all have other problems right now, right? You know, they they might be over allocated in their own countries. They might be solving their own issues. Uh, they also are all much more familiar with the US, right? You have to recognize that US is still 10, 20 times bigger than we are uh, from a market size. So so a lot of them are really focusing their activity there. And for the U.S. guys, we are just a smaller market with more complexity. So, so we really need to educate them that we're not that different, that it's not hard to get here, that it's quite, you know, it's a liquid market, it is a tax transparent market. So I think... Um, we need to do a lot of work to educate the U.S. guys to come here. That's going to be a bit uphill battle, but I think the easier battle is probably to um, convince European capital, Middle Eastern capital, Asian capital to look at Canada as an alternative to only investing in the U.S. I think that's that's the opportunity, and I think some of them have figured it out. I mean, like we had. A lot of um, you know Asian capital come into this market last year. We had a big increase from kind of 8% uh, cross-border capital to 40 earlier this year um, into, into bigger deals. So they are the first ones that actually get it and that are coming. So um, hopefully we'll attract more.
1: Okay. You made a point that American pension funds view Canada as a smaller market which is accurate but you mentioned the complexity part of it is that justified the complexity
0: well it's justified if if what you know best is the US um you know you have you have a lot of national standards in the US you know you have the same sort of retailers the same sort of players across the country of course you know any new market is complex right and you only do it if it either has Diversification benefits, or you get you know better risk-adjusted returns, and and so yes, it is complex for them. I don't think it's too hard to understand because the markets are not too different, but it it, it has more complexity. But what we are saying is we're less volatile. So we U.S. performed almost similarly uh, in the last fifteen years, but we probably have a less risky market in a way that it's less volatile than the U.S. market. OK,
1: what makes the US market more volatile than Canada?
0: Well, I think what we figured out is, on one hand, it doesn't have such a stable banking system. It has many more banks, like 2,000 banks, compared to kind of 25, I'd say. And you know that, that is just an inherent risk in the system. And we've seen it in, in the financial crises, and we've seen it more recently again. Uh, I think that's one. The country is also a bit more highly leveraged than, than Canada is. Generally speaking, and so it becomes a bit, you know, more volatile. It was more volatile during the financial crisis. It was more volatile during and after COVID. And so I think this is the benefit of investing in Canada compared to the US. That's very good. And
1: you definitely touched on this point a little bit. But what's the difference between real estate investing in the UK, in the United States, and in Canada? Yeah, I've invested in,
0: in all countries uh, that you mentioned here. I, I'd say. Um, UK also within Europe is the most volatile market. It's very focused on London per se. So it's a very London-centric market, quite volatile. It's a very international market and it has lots of deep pockets of capital looking around in, in London. It's because it's very landlord-friendly. It's, uh, it has a lot of advisory base and know-how that actually help you do deals, even if you don't know the market that well. It used to be a great market for institutional capital to come in in scale, and be able to execute. So that was the big advantage. Um, it's a bit less interesting now that you know, kind of real estate investment is moving away from office more towards industrial, multifamily, because you know you can't do these big chunky bets anymore. And now markets like U.S. or Canada, where you can roll out things across the markets. You know, industrial and multifamily are probably a bit more interesting. And then again, the US. US is all about rolling out successful ideas across the whole country, right? It's all about scale. A lot of the players are listed, very specialized into you know each of the sectors. So I think you can get, you know, good access to listed real estate know-how with operational expertise. And Canada is somewhat in the middle. I mean, I think it's a market that is, you know, much much less focused on on you know one city it's it, it has strong cities, but it's really one of the g seven countries that has a lot of immigration and natural growth uh compared to other g seven markets it's has a lot of stability because it has good institutional players that make good decisions it has a lot of transparency because it probably adopted a lot of the you know kind of u k and u s transparency and it's quite liquid right you know we we worked out in, the, in our white paper that liquidity levels compared to size of market are actually similar to the US so i think it's i'd say it's um it's a stable middle middle market uh, where you have very attractive returns we had the highest returns of all the G7 countries over the last 15 years based on MSCI index um so so that's that's good
1: okay so for somebody that may not know what uh, MSCI index is oh.
0: yeah so in most of the G7 countries Japan had a couple of holes in the data but but most other markets there is a you know unlevered property index uh, market which measures the whole institutional market basically all big players contribute their data about you know their values of their real estate the income you know all the relevant data income capital gain to the index and that gets kind of published and, and also, you know, kind of it's audited and, you know, kind of everybody has to play fair and everybody has the same definition. So, So in a way, it's a very measurable, you know, kind of global index where you can perform like for like different markets, which is attractive, right?
1: Okay. And that number has been the highest in the G7 countries for the past 15
0: years. Our performance has been highest, yeah, with a lower volatility than other markets that have done. You know, if, even if they performed close to what we did, you know, kind of they have a higher levels of volatility. OK, so we shouldn't have
1: more banks in Canada. We have the right number of banks, which makes it more stable.
0: I don't know. <clears throat> um, I think what, what we said is everybody's always saying everything is dominated by the big five banks in Canada. It's, it's not true because there are a lot of other sources of capital. For uh, commercial real estate, right? I think the the big five banks are only about thirty or forty percent of the financing market of the commercial market. Could there be more? I think so. Yeah, but you know, there's probably going to be more of a concentration process going forward. But I think they are not the only source of capital, and and you know, there's. I, I think they provide stability, but it's it's not a monopoly either. Right.
1: Talking about that, there's a report. That the government's trying to stop the transaction by RBC to purchase HSBC. Should that be stopped? Well,
0: you know, like I don't, I don't know whether it should be stopped. It's not for me to to for judge, sure. right? But, but I think you know, you want to stay in a market economy where there's competition, and I think we have systems and processes in place to kind of stop that agglomeration if there's a controlling. You know, kind of, if there are any concerns about you know having market control, so uh, I hope that you know whoever decides this will will make you know proper judgment on it. Um, so I want to stay out of it and stay out of politics, but but I think if you want a market economy, you need to have multiple players in 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 a relevant sector like a banking sector. That's very
1: good. And how has Fiera Real Estate adapted its investment strategies to navigate the changing market conditions?
0: I don't want to take credit for it because I'm the newbie. I'm only you know barely a year in the job. But um, what the firm has done here on the real estate side is we've really moved our portfolio uh, towards much more industrial and also multifamily compared to the other sectors. So we've probably had a very good sector call. We have today you know, fully dedicated, open-end fund for industrial. We have 50% of our open-end fund in industrial. We do a lot of value-add in the industrial space. So I think we're in the right sector, which is great. And the other thing which we've done more recently is we've just uh, integrated. You know, when when I joined, we had just integrated the uh, our real estate debt program into the equity program, so that we can actually run it together. And on the debt side, we have you know, uh, quite a strong Ameri- you know, kind of Canadian American program already in place and we're establishing it in the UK and in Europe right now. And we also have an Asian business. So on the debt side, we actually think we can be a global player in a way that, you know, in each of the relevant regions we, we offer a similar product. And I think real estate debt is kind of in a you know from the capital stack in a in a in a good space right now because the risk-adjusted returns are quite attractive, right? So I'd say the sector calls are interesting. I'd say our move to debt is interesting. And, you know, we've also probably delevered a lot of our portfolio. So we didn't come into this financial crisis with high levels of leverage, which gives us the room to maneuver today. Uh, so, so that's been great. Okay, that's very good. So
1: you mentioned you're expanding debt into... Other countries, in the countries in which you operate on the debt side, which ones the easiest to operate in? We probably
0: have the longest track record and the biggest portfolio in Canada. So I'd say for us, it's probably the easiest is Canada. I'm not sure if generally speaking it's easier, but you know, for us, Canada's is the, the strength, and um, and we're building on that track record for the other regions. That's good. That's very good. Track
1: record is very important. What do you see as the future trends or challenges in the financial industry and how is Fiera real estate preparing
0: for them? In the investment management business industry, which we are in, you know, kind of managing, you know, institutional and private wealth capital, um, there's a lot of aggregation in the business, right? Where global aggregators, you know, buy smaller, smaller managers and just become bigger. Um, And so there's this bifurcation into the global aggregators who really focus on collecting capital and then kind of the, uh, if you want the local specialist operators that really kind of work the real estate. Um, And I think um, what we're trying to do is we have a strong operating platform both in the UK and Canada. And we want to use that to partner with global capital and actually be the local operator, um, you know, in these markets, I'd say on on the debt side, you know, we can be an aggregator and focus on kind of providing debt across the globe because you don't need the same kind of um, operational expertise to um, to provide debt than you deal for equity. So I think we are trying to focus on our strength. We're trying to play with bigger players, and we're trying to. Uh, become good partners in the markets where we really have the strongest, deepest platform.
1: That's very good. That's a good strategy. And can you share some examples of successful ESG initiatives that Fiera Real
0: Estate has been involved in? Again, as an investment manager, you kind of want to be ahead of the game on ESG a little bit. Um, I think what we see is we have a UK platform which is operating in Europe, which is a bit Further in regulation and practice. So, we're learning from that for Canada. I think we are good actually implementing and reporting on what we're doing on ESG with annual reports and GRESPI scores and everything. But what I'm really excited about is that what we've achieved right now is that we implemented enough of conversion to kind of LED lighting, conversion from, you know, kind of traditional heating to heat pumps. And we've put in enough kind of uh, sensors and and data capability that we can actually measure now our success, right? So I'd say of my industrial portfolio, maybe 70% is now covered with, you know, sensors and data where I can show real time how we've improved over the years, right? And really actually reduced carbon. So... I come from promises to performance and measurable performance where I can show my investors the results. And this is you know, work in progress. So next year, hopefully we'll be up from 70, maybe to 90. What we can do is now transition into actually hard data rather than soft promises. And I think so far uh, with, uh, we've kept up with our promises. You know, if you if you take, you know, the uh, intermediate goals, we've achieved them. And and we're working hard to, um, first of all, you know, kind of set the goal lines, um, you know, continue to set goal lines uh, ahead and also um, actually uh, achieving more than than we promised. So you
1: mentioned that uh, your UK operations are a bit more advanced on the ESG side of things and you're learning from your UK operations.
0: What have you learned? What we've learned especially is that, you know, where UK and Europe is ahead is on the regulation side, right? And and so we've learned that on one hand, you have to be prepared to stay ahead of the curve because otherwise you'll get caught up with regulation. Um, you also need to do it because a regulation will probably limit you in your capital raising capability if you don't do it. So in Europe, you already have, if you don't meet certain standards with your funds, you're not even you know, you actually need to kind of disclose what level you have, and you know, it, it actually determines how you can go out and market. So, so I think we we realize that it's intimately connected to not only performance but also to your capital raising activity. Um, and so, so that's one thing we learned. Um, and um, I'd say, you know, overall, we learned that maybe now we're still you know, three to five years behind the UK, but that gap shrinks, right? So, again, you know, capital is global. And capital is moving to, you know, where people achieve ESG objectives. Um, so I, I think we can't say, okay, you know, that means we still have three years to to sit still. I think more take the opportunity, learn from it. Let, let's speed up so that we, we can actually be at the same level very soon. Um, the the other thing which is interesting is that we also see it now on the financing side. Not only, you know, as as our debt funds are now regulated, you know, under U.S. you know kind of European legislation, uh, to what kind of level uh, they achieve, but also when when we take loans in our portfolio, real estate loans, the lenders are now asking us a lot more questions about our ESG, our performance, and I think we're getting better terms. So next to the economic impact about, you know, maybe recovering your cost, having energy savings, potentially driving your rents because now your tenants are paying less on operating costs, potentially, you know, having lower cap rates because your product is more attractive, you might also be able to attract cheaper financing. So what we're trying to say here is. There's an economic benefit to your ESG measures, even if people think it's a bit in the gray zone because you don't have, you know, kind of investment returns on every dollar. I think overall it's a very attractive uh, commercial proposal.
1: Okay. So you mentioned that lenders in the US
0: are asking you if you've met certain ESG requirements. It's more Canadian lenders to date than US lenders because we're not lending. We're not borrowing in the US. We don't have an equity portfolio there. Okay. So, so I can't judge about the US. But I know in Europe it's in Europe it's definitely uh the case that you can get more attractive financing if you if you're ESG friendly or your your buildings conform to certain standards, right? Okay, so you are referring to Canadian
1: lenders, and in this case it has to do with CMHC then. Some of the requirements from Oh CMHC. no, on the commercial side. Sorry. On the commercial, commercial side. Yeah. On the commercial side. okay okay that's good and you get better cap rates
0: i think we're getting better cap rates for the progress we are we've been making you know people say like if the payback of something is 10 years and your holding period is five should you be doing it and i think you should because after five years you know people will look at the building with esg progressed much more you know in a much more institutional way than if you didn't do any work right so I think you either get a cap rate premium, or you get a bigger pool of potential buyers that that should, in the end, also translate into a better price or better fungibility, where you can sell okay. it faster. Like these days, you know, we've seen a lot of product on the market that doesn't even sell. Right? People have a choice. So if you have ESG friendly product, you know, you're probably more likely to sell these days than not.
1: That's very good. So one last question for you, uh, Wenzel. What's new and not worthy at Fiera Real Estate that people may not know about?
0: Hmm. I'm new. Uh, Maybe not everybody (laughs) knows me. Um, We have, I think, what a lot of people don't know is we we have, for example, one of the top open ended funds in the MSCI index in Canada uh, and the industrial space, right? We have a fully dated industrial fund, Small Bay Industrial. It's been top performer over three, five, ten years. It's a billion dollar fund. It's liquid. I don't think a lot of people focus on it, and so I think we've been performing very well. And maybe not everybody has looked at it, and you know you should come and check us out. Um, I think that's one. Uh, and I think what's what's up and coming is is that we're working on this global debt strategy, right? Where, as an investor, you can actually invest with us on a global basis, you know real estate credit across the globe or take your regional bets, right? I want real estate credit in the UK, in Canada, in Europe, in the US. Um, so you can either go focused or global, depending on your size and depending on your appetite. Uh, but I think that should be quite attractive in the years to come, where I think a lot of people that you know, kind of used to do you know equity to get better returns are now quite comfortable if they can get you know kind of low double-digit returns by doing that that's very good thank you very
1: much uh, Wenzo. this has been a great conversation I have to go back and listen thank you Matteo and thank you very much for taking the time we'll definitely stay in touch okay good hope to see you soon have a good one you too okay bye bye